Welcome to the She's Electric podcast. I'm Pia, a passionate food consultant who is learning how to build my business while raising my young family. And I'm Kaya, dedicated business coach and enthusiastic yogi. It's our mission to help working mothers redefine the way they work and reimagine what is possible. We aim to be raw and real about the challenges and highlights we experience on our journeys of motherhood, business and life and hope that by sharing what we've learned, we can help you too. So I'm just going to launch straight into our topic today because I want to talk about the difference of empathy versus sympathy. When we talk about sympathy, we talk about things like pity, whereas empathy is actually being down with someone and really experiencing it with them. This has been very topical for Kaya right now in her life, and it's something that I have definitely experienced. Brene Brown does a talk on the difference of empathy versus sympathy, where she says that empathy creates connection with people. It it involves you going to a very deep place in yourself and recognizing the experience that the other person is having in front of you, And remembering when you experience something like that yourself, whereas pity actually leads to disconnection because it's really about you being the victim and me being, you know, I'm not experiencing that. So I'm, I'm pitying you. Kaya, I'm just interested to know what has your experience been of empathy versus sympathy over the last few weeks? I've thought a lot about the emotion of pity even before this situation happened, because I noticed that it's very common in the way that we talk about people. We say things like, oh, poor so-and-so. It really drives me mad when Mm. my husband uh, does that because (laughs) it is this energy of pity. It's it's a very draining energy for the other person. It makes Mm -hmm. them small. Yeah. It's not about saying there's always something good to see when somebody is experiencing a situation that is incredibly tough, but it is about seeing in them that they have the strength to get through whatever situation they are in Mm -hmm. and that this is not a full stop in their life. This is an opportunity for them to grow. This is an opportunity for them to be resilient. I think empathy is, is love and kindness and seeing in the other person resilience and strength. And have you found that people have come to you with with both emotions and have you really been able to pick up on it with with people I've naturally had this experience of Mm. really being attracted to some people and having this aversion to seeing other people and it can be people that I'm quite close to and I think it's because they can't move on from being in the they're so distraught it's funny when you think about empathy being imagining the experience I think people misinterpret empathy. They think that it's about imagining if they were in the same situation, having not been in the same situation, Mm -hmm. because what their image is, it's not based on a lived experience. It sounds weird to say, but if you were empathizing with somebody who'd lost their child and you had lost a pet, maybe your empathy would would come from that experience rather than trying to imagine what it would be like to lose your child. That goes into this unbearable negativity and that's not attractive to me. What's attractive to me is when people are just 
they're there and they are neutral. If you're strong enough to hold space for other people, other people can come to you and be supported by you. If you're not strong enough to hold space for people without imprinting your emotions on the situation, you cannot really support people because they're having to support you. Yeah, completely. I mean, for me, my experience with sympathy is that it it leads to people being awkward. It creates this awkwardness around the conversation, which which leads to that disconnection. Whereas empathy is really about, you may not have experienced what the person is going through, but you're putting yourself down at their level and you're feeling it with them and just being in the emotions with them. And I really experienced this. I'll go into my own experience of traumatic death because it was such a, it was such a great example, a how not to experience death and how you can I just feel like I went about everything in completely the wrong way and that's why over the last few weeks it's been so incredible and interesting for me to see you choose a completely different path so I I had a strange experience with death because I was in an accident where we were whitewater we were kayakers we were Big into adventure sports, me and my really good friend, we'd been to Uganda together. We'd kiked along the Nile. Like we'd done all these things. And then I was 19. So she was my best friend in college. And we, as we did every single Christmas, we went over to the west of Ireland and we would kayak um, out there. And there was a huge storm one of the nights. And we were all delighted because huge storm when you're kayaking means that the rivers are just huge the next day. But when we got to the river, I just... I, I could see how fast the water was going and I, it was really strange. And for, for years after, no one believed me when I said this, but I got this voice in my head that was not my voice. And it just said, whatever you do, do not get on that river. Do not get on that river. And I remembered so well because I was walking and I stopped when I heard it, but I said nothing. And I didn't get on the river. And when they, There was a big group, a huge amount of experience between everybody. This was not an inexperienced group, but the storm had put trees, it had blown trees across the river. And then when they turned a corner at a certain section, they all got stuck in them. Now, the men in the group, there was only myself and my friend Dee. The men in the group were able to get themselves out through brute force, but Dee wasn't and, and she drowned. And so... It was a really strange experience of death because I really felt I'd had a hand in it, that we as a group of adults had all made decisions and those decisions had led to this amazing person dying. And I came home and I really battled with that guilt of I never said anything. I felt it wasn't safe and I didn't say anything. So I very much went into that negative emotion of what if I just said something? What if I'd done it differently? What which it's been incredible for me to see you saying that not all emotions are valid. Is guilt valid? No, it's not because it was never, ever going to bring her back. But what I found was that because it was a bit of a, a strange story. And when I said I'd been in an accident, people said, oh, was it a car crash? And I said, no. And I explained the story. And I noticed this awkwardness from everybody. People didn't know what to say. They didn't know what to do. Mm. And so I was so traumatized after this happened because when someone dies, as you know, you, you, there's a body. You have to find it. There's so much trauma around things. And I just needed to talk about it. I needed yeah. to tell people what had happened on the river. Yeah. because That was me getting it out. 
And what I found when I came home was when I told people the start of the story, they just they couldn't look me in the eye. I remember that the university organized that I would go to a, we'd all go to a counselor. When I went in, I told him this. I, I told him what had happened and he just went, oh, dear, 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 dear. Oh, dear. And I was like, I haven't spilled fucking milk here. You know, an amazing person has died and you're saying oh dear Mm. and he said something really strange to me which was I just feel like you're you're coping with this really well so I'm not going to open up the can of worms wow and he said I'm just going to leave it there and it just he didn't want to go any further with it it was a strange situation as well for my parents because the girl who had gone out to the west of Ireland was their carefree happy 19 year old and who came home was this traumatized shell of a person I think the entire experience made them feel pity and made them feel disconnection and they weren't really sure what to do. Mm. My my dad just didn't have the um, the emotional bandwidth to be able to handle this. So he for him, he I think he was so scared that it was so nearly me. Mm. And had I made a different decision that day, it would have been me. And so he just didn't want to talk about it. And my mom, trying to get me back on track, said, yeah, OK, tomorrow, tomorrow it's back to normal. And I was like, "There is, is there normal? And so I developed this narrative in my head because of the awkwardness that I felt from people that Pia, you're a broken record. Stop talking about it. Stop talking about it. Stop talking about it. And you know, when you want to cry and you have um, a pain in your throat because you're holding in the tears. I was like that all the time. I was just constantly holding back tears. And I just held it in for months and months and months. And then eventually, if if you don't, have the conditions where you can start to talk about these things and actually express the emotion and and cry like the reason our bodies cry is because you need to release that emotion and so I started I, I I developed all these growths on my skin like literally it was a fungal infection it was apt I have never seen something so aggressive that was purely founded in emotions and every time isn't it and when I when I touched my hair clumps of it would fall out I literally for me it was just an incredible it was like um, killing you inside it was killing me the fact that I wasn't talking about it it's like so much pain yeah poison that guilt is poison that guilt exactly when you said that not every emotion is valid and you're right because I was spending all this time so fixated in the past what if I had done something different that was never going to bring D back Mm. but what it was doing was it was keeping me at the river it was keeping me in that trauma Mm. and what I found was that there were certain people that I came across through this experience who were just very upfront like one person he he was a man and he said to me would you mind telling me what happened on the river and I was so relieved that I could just talk about it he was just curious he was interested he wasn't awkward he wasn't trying to place any kind of judgment on it right he just wanted to know and that for me was a very therapeutic experience and then it was only a a year later on her anniversary I was away with my family and my mother just didn't really want to talk about it throughout the year because obviously she was just scared of of her daughter trying to protect you yeah exactly she was trying to protect me but when we were away we went down to the beach the two of us and she picked some flowers and we threw them into the water and and she just sat there and she cried with me and she she just said, Dee, I love you. And the two of us said that. And 
it was that for me was empathy it was hers like Dee hadn't been her friend but that she'd sat there with me and she'd felt it and she cried with me it was finally after a year it was the acknowledgement that you had suffered something huge and you had lost somebody very special and I'm just sitting here with you and holding space for that Mm. and so for me that has been my experience of the difference of the destruction of of pity and and sympathy and awkwardness versus just experiencing something with somebody. Mm. I literally have goosebumps all over just hearing you talk through parts of that story. The first bit being about that voice that you hear. Mm. Yeah. And I was, I was talking about it with my husband this morning. There are things that happen to you around life-changing events, which yeah. you can't explain to other people. And you hold back on talking about it because you have belief in things like that voice. Yeah. You know what your mm-hmm. experience was. You know what happened. Totally. You can't explain it, but it doesn't matter what other people think because you had that experience. Yeah. That's so interesting. And I guess the other thing I find really fascinating is that people's journeys and what they need are very different which is why when you come to somebody who's experiencing something like you were saying there that man who asked you the question he was just with you and he was curious about what had happened he was asking you to take the lead to set the tone And then when you sat with your mum and she cried, she was in the emotion that you felt of anguish. People sitting with me or coming to me and just bursting out crying. I'm like, why am I comforting you? Yeah, totally. If I start crying, okay, cry with me. But I can't be like caring for your grief. Completely on top of all of my own. And it's actually, it's really being with people is noticing where they're at and as you said it's being with somebody in the shared experience Mm -hmm. of what emotion they're going through yeah but so many people that when as you were describing the physical manifestation that you had from that emotional pain Mm -hmm. you and I could have a conversation together you see that everywhere that is all around us in our culture that people are not able to express whether they're holding on to a lot of weight because they feel numb because they're numbing there's so many different things that are to do with our emotions that are inside of us that we're not releasing and even not acknowledging oh completely and I think it's definitely something that happens with women that there are certain things that we're not supposed to say that we're not supposed to tackle as a society when somebody's experiencing something difficult our default is to try and fix it for them oh god yeah there are so many situations like what you are going through right now that are just fucking shit and they can't be fixed it's just about learning to live with them I see it a lot of the time with say women who are struggling to conceive it's like well at least you already have a child at least you can get pregnant. We always try to put on this silver lining. And sometimes you just want someone to say, it's just fucking shit. I'm really sorry that you that you have to go through this. Yeah, and but what also, you need. totally. We've talked about this before. Emotions only last for... Yeah, 90 seconds. Right. So they can be in that emotion of anguish. Mm. And then you can tell them a joke and they can laugh. Exactly. These are not mutually exclusive things. Right. That's the thing about the pity and the awkwardness is that the energy that people bring around you Mm -hmm. becomes that 
it, it becomes something kind of permanent or it becomes something yeah. long term. And as you were describing that experience that you went through, it's like that that anguish that was in you, that pain, you you needed to say out loud how you, that you felt guilt. Exactly. Because yeah. you through getting it out, you can have a conversation with whether it's a therapist or somebody who is the right person for you to go through that with. Yeah, you can experience it, as you said, that this is just so shit. I've had some moments of real anguish where I've been sobbing with one Mm. of my friends or with my husband. And I am in deep, deep anguish. And then I'm laughing. Exactly. Because you've had that release as well. That's the powerful people can be with you in that moment. And then they Mm -hmm. can be with you in the next moment because they're present with you. And they're not creating this narrative that this is your only life now. Absolutely. One of the narratives that I developed in my head was that she, D is gone. You can't be happy. And I used to feel really guilty that when I laughed and I remember when we were down in the West of Ireland and the night that she, or this, the night after she died, when we did a, uh, there was a ceremony in the church for her, people all went out that night and they drank and they were just like getting all their emotions out. And I just sat there. I was like, I'm not drinking. I like, I, how can I drink? How can I have alcohol? How can I almost be celebrating when my best friend is dead? I think it did help a lot of people there that they had this release, but I had myself in this permanent state of kind of self-flagellation mm. that it's, I need to punish myself because that is the only way that, I deserve it because I deserve it. Exactly. And I just didn't at 19 years old after experiencing something so traumatic, I just didn't know I, I, I didn't know that I could do things that I've seen you do, like dictating the terms with people. We don't want to lean into grief. We want to lean into the emotion of love. And I remember like her family are just the most amazing people. And they as a family lent into love. And it was at her 10 year anniversary. I was dreading going because I was really scared that I just I had experienced so much kind of blame and a little bit of um yeah well it swallowed you and it's like it's there was so much blame in my head and because of my association with thing with with the event and in my head I was like her family think the exact same thing and now they had never shown me that they'd always been absolutely incredible and then at the 10 year anniversary when they came to the church I had I'd been living with this this cloak around me for the for 10 years really whenever I thought about it and they drove up and her dad came and he like beeped the horn. They all hang, hung out of the car. They gave us a big wave. They were like, come on to the house. We've got tea. We've got sandwiches. Come on over. And I was just totally astounded. You can create this narrative in your head. That means that you create this fake story around things. Mm. And that's what I had done over 10 years through leaning into all of these negative emotions. And it's when I actually saw our family and I saw none of it was true. It was really seeing the power of leaning into love and leaning into forgiveness and leaning into acceptance acceptance versus me putting myself in the past and all the things that I couldn't change. Yeah. It was was an incredible experience. What I think is really poignant about the description that you're sharing and the emotional experience of an event creating an extreme emotion like grief, but then you embedding that emotion in you and that becoming a go-to emotion and that becoming your emotional kind of home. Because this is true for everybody. We've all got emotional homes. We've all got places that are familiar 
that they, they might not be good for us. They might not be healthy. They might not feel good, but they are yeah. familiar. It's very important to begin to notice what are the emotional patterns that you experience. Mm -hmm. Because many people, especially mums, they have this kind of tendency to experience guilt. Yeah. And they start to normalize that emotion because it becomes so familiar. And yeah. at the core of it is, is that question. You think that you deserve to feel guilty. <laughs> Absolutely. Because if you don't, then why are you telling yourself that you should feel guilt? Yeah. There's something yeah. like you were telling yourself that this was your fault, that you should have done something mm -hmm. to change it, that you had had the missing bit of information that was crucial yeah. to this having a different outcome, right? Yeah. yeah. As you, <laughs> yeah. you use the word self-flagellation, you were punishing yourself. You were yeah. telling yourself over and over again that that emotion was justified, that you deserved it. Yeah. And yeah. anyone who's experiencing guilt, you need to really question why, what is it that you're telling yourself? You're telling yourself somewhere along the way that you deserve this. Completely. Emotion. Yeah. Yeah. And most of us, there are, are the places where we are at home, where it is familiar, they are not all positive emotions. I have a very familiar emotion of anger, mm -hmm. <laughs> of judgment. <laughs> I'm the same. <laughs> Those are very familiar places for yeah. me. Yeah. They don't feel good. No. And they don't, they don't enhance my life, but they are patterns. Yeah. Once we start to recognize things as patterns, yeah. we don't even necessarily need to know what the origin of it was. People don't need to go into therapy and spend lots of time thinking about the origin of something. Yeah. You're just talking more and more and more and more about it. Yeah, You can shift things by beginning to notice that there's a pattern and practicing mm -hmm. a different pattern. And that's mental fitness. The mm -hmm. practice that we talk about so often on this pod, that is exactly what it is. It is saying, I'm going to start practicing a different pattern, whether that is empathy, mm -hmm. whether that is gratitude, there must have been a turning point for you from where you are today as a person. Mm -hmm. You've created new patterns for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You've Absolutely. retold that story. Yeah, completely. And it's and you're so right. It is about we all have patterns that we default back to, right? And my whole experience around death was to, because of all the awkwardness around me and because nobody was talking about things, what happened in my head was I developed a narrative. Now, the narrative wasn't true. Or helping it, you. Or helping me. It felt very true. And I thought everybody around me thought I was a broken record and started, Pia, you need to stop talking about this. I just didn't have those coping mechanisms. What I do nowadays, which is Pia, how do you want to feel? How do you want to wake up feeling? You know, because even right now in, in my life, I have three weeks until I go on maternity leave. The amount of client work that I have is absolutely like, when I think about it, I feel like a hyperventilating. I keep waking up every day. I'm sticking to my practices. I'm taking time for stillness to power down at the start of the day. So I'm not just launching straight into all the stress and Busyness. everything. The busyness, exactly. And I'm not saying ambiguous things like I have so much work to do. It's like, okay, <laughs> what is the exact work that I have to do? And I'm, and then it's, how do I want to feel? Yeah. I want to get through these next three, three weeks with ease and flow. So yeah. how am I going to cultivate that? And what are the emotions that I can lean into to, to help get that feeling as opposed to this feeling of busyness and stress and, oh my God, I have so much to do and why, 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 yeah. you know? 
And that's what you're doing is you're just describing an old pattern and the cultivation of a new pattern. And that's the thing is it's intentional. Nothing happens by accident. It's intentional. But as you were saying that about the narrative that you had created in your head, all of these patterns are about narratives. Mm. One of the most common narratives that people can connect with is when you actually start listening to the things that you say, say to yourself, it starts with many people, the minute they get out of bed, oh God. I know. I've got to go to work. And then they look yeah. in the mirror and they tell themselves that they're disgusting. Yeah. They're, they're literally so like, you are disgusting. <laughs> and your husband looked at you and was like, I know. Disgusting. The literally... way we talk to ourselves. Right. And it, that's the thing. <laughs> there is this self-flagellation going on continuously yeah. Yeah. for so many people. And I think that noticing that is the first step towards understanding that you can mm-hmm. switch it off. Yeah. Yeah. And you can say like, something different yeah exactly and or you can say you're always... a liar you're a liar <laughs> you're a liar exactly whenever I say something that's terrible to myself like oh my god you are a piece of shit or look at you you look so big and fat right now <laughs> I just think of Stephen saying it and I go oh my god like he would never say that to me so why am I treating myself that way and he wouldn't even think that you know he that's wouldn't even the thing. think it no. it's like you never look at one of your friends and think oh my god you are disgusting. what a pig <laughs> you know it's like yeah, yeah this yeah. treatment of ourselves this narrative that we have yeah. about what people think about us how we look who we are what terrible mothers we are whatever it is it's so extreme <clears throat> mm-hmm Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And for anybody at home who knows somebody who is going through something difficult, what I would ask is think of ways that you can create connection with them. Because when you're going through something difficult, actually what it makes you feel is that you're really on your own. You're really lonely and no one else is experiencing this. What I have found is that being able to talk about it is a really good thing. It's asking the question in a way that you are curious And you want to learn more and you're trying to understand the situation better versus going in with judgment or preconceived ideas like, oh, dear, like this is so terrible. Oh, no. Or saying the worst thing, which is at least you have Mm. X. I couldn't agree with you more. I think that's a beautiful note to end on. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for joining us. If anything we talked about today resonated and you know a woman who needs to hear this, too. Please send her the episode and help us keep the movement going because women helping women only makes us stronger. To stay up to date on our latest episodes and the guests joining us, follow the She's Electric podcast on LinkedIn and Instagram. The music is Teenage Songbird by Forte, used with permission from the artist. We hope to see you again soon. Music